Welcome to the Choose Life Radio Network. Your host is Jill Taylor. Every week we bring you a candid conversation with someone who's making a difference for the cause of life. And now here's Jill to introduce today's guest on Choose Life Radio. Welcome to Choose Life Radio. I'm Jill Taylor, your host today. We have a story that's going to be difficult to hear, perhaps. We have a story that's going to cause you to celebrate, perhaps. We have a very special story today. I want you to meet a friend that's brand new to me. Her name is Jennifer Christie, and she and her husband, Jeff, have a ministry called Love Louder. Am I right? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> so you can find them online at Love Louder, and then a, a dash, and, and Jeff and Jennifer, that'll help you get the right one. Jennifer, tell me how you guys decided to make a ministry out of this and maybe lead us into the story that you experienced that has caused you to have this outreach. Well, the story is sort of what caused everything. It absolutely changed our world in in every way possible. I'm a sign language interpreter with my career. I've been a sign language interpreter for 25 years. As such, I freelance. I travel a lot for work. I'm somewhere different every week, every day. And in January of 2014, I had taken a two-week-long assignment that was out of town, and I was commuting back and forth for the first week. It was about three, three and a half hours away. And after the first week, I was exhausted, and my husband was worried about me being on the road. And he was like, why don't we get you a hotel room and, and just stay up there for the second week, and then you can you know, finish your job, come back, and rest. And it seemed to make sense. And so the last day of this long assignment it snowed, and so work let out early, and the place was pretty much a ghost town. It was very unaccustomed to snow, this area, and I was in this little remote hotel. It was an older kind of establishment that had sort of separate units outside, separate from the main office, and I pulled into the hotel, and I was going to my room, and it was windy and snowy, and I had my hood up, and I wasn't paying attention, and everything that they warn you against if you're a a woman traveling alone, and I didn't realize I was being followed. I get to my room and I open the door and kind of drop everything on the floor. And when I turn around to close the door behind me, there was a man in my doorway. And I say man, but I at the time I, I still think of him as a as a kid. He looked very young to me. He looked maybe college age, which was close to the age of my oldest daughter at the time. And I was startled, but I wasn't scared because he didn't look scary. There was nothing about him that looked really distinguishable. He just looked like a kid. And I thought, well, with the snow, maybe his car broke down. Maybe he needs my phone or or something. And it went through my mind in about half a second, which is what I had before he punched me in the head. I read a lot about fight or flight and women who read my story will comment, you know, well, that's why I have mace and that's why I do this. And that's why, you know, that would never happen to me. And I had a big thing of industrial mace on my keychain, which was in my bag. And I expected that in that kind of situation I would fight, but I just froze because it's so surreal. This is not something that happens to you. This is something that happens to someone else. This is something that you see in a movie. Your brain can't quite comprehend that this is really going to happen. And Mm -hmm. eventually I, I did fight and I broke ribs and fingers and remember distinctly thinking at some point he's going to kill me. And I kind of crawled somewhere inside of myself and, kept saying, this is just my body. He can't touch my soul. He can't touch my soul. And at some point I passed out. And the next thing I remember, I felt a lot of cold 
and I heard a woman screaming and it sounded like it was from very far away. And I opened my eyes and there was a woman leaning over me and kind of crooning at me in Spanish and covering me with her coat. And I realized I wasn't wearing anything, just a scrap of clothing. And I tried to sit up and that's when I knew that I was really hurt. I was taken to the hospital and they did a rape kit. I was treated for the broken bones and I had a brain bleed, which resolved without surgery, but did leave me with a seizure disorder. And I had a lot of internal damage. I had uh, six major surgeries and four minor surgeries over the next several years to kind of fix what had been destroyed. So uh, in the wake of this horrific attack, I... I'm married. I was married back then. I'm still married. We had been married 19 years um, at the time. We had four children. We were not dealing well with this. There's no manual for what happens after the world turns upside down. This was not a place I knew anymore. We told the kids I was in a car accident. We didn't want to tell them the truth. How do you how do you tell your kids something like that? I, I hid in the house. I was having a lot of pain. I just kind of turtled and I just stayed in my room and didn't talk to anyone. And my husband was trying very hard to be a support, to be a rock. And he was like, you know, we're going to get through this and God will get us through this. And our house is built on the rock and we've got this. And, but then I'd hear him when he thought I was asleep, go into the shower and sob and punch the walls. And then he'd come back out with a smile and like, we're going to be okay. And we're all right. And I just remember thinking, this is not all right. Nothing is ever going to be all right again. And I didn't know how to keep living. I didn't want to be in in a world where people could do things like that to each other. I didn't know how to keep going. Can I stop and, you for a minute? Sure. Um, because I know you, there's much more to your story. How does a wife comfort a husband when they are actually hurting so badly themselves? He didn't know how to approach me. He didn't know how to comfort me, if he could hug me, if he like what he could do. I was thinking he looked at me differently. I was like, he thinks I'm dirty. He thinks that, which is not true. Mm-hmm. But he's dealing with, you know, natural feelings of, of failure. I failed you. I was, I'm supposed to be your protector. I'm supposed to be your safety. And I wasn't there. And also feelings of like homicidal rage. Like I want to get my hands on this man. Mm-hmm. Like he just wants to fix it. You know, the right. way most men do. I just, he wants to fix it. I'm, I'm hurting. He wants to make it better. And that's a really tough question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. Well, I just wanted really to have that part listed in because I think there are other women who identify right up to this story point, and I want them to understand that that there are some good things that come out of it, and there are some. You're still married, and and you've got yes. some great things to share yet. Yes, and, and absolutely, this was one of those things. I mean, you never want trials. I mean, I. You don't ask for them. You don't really, you don't appreciate them at the time. But in retrospect, it really was a refiner's fire because it really, it brought all the petty worries and all the everyday stresses and things down to a minimum because mm-hmm. it was so life or death so quickly. Yeah. And you have that moment of realizing what's really important and, and how to hang on to each other and how to hang on to God. And we didn't do that so well at first. We were looking to each other for, for comfort to fix things and we weren't looking up and that's the biggest message. That's what I would tell people. Make sure you're looking up. Well, continue because with your story because you've got more to tell, and I want to be do. sure we get yes. it all in. All right. Six weeks after this, I was not doing well emotionally, but physically I was mostly healed. I looked okay, and I was scheduled to go interpret on a cruise 
And I've done a few of these in, in my career. They're very common. Interpreters are always on cruises. This was a big deal. I've been asked for, especially there were a bunch of other interpreters, a huge group of deaf people. This was not something that I could just get out of. And I kind of put off telling the agency that I can't go. And the, the sooner I got to the date where I was supposed to depart, I realized that I couldn't get out of this. I couldn't back out of this without leaving everyone in alert. And so I talked to Jeff and he was like, I think you should go. You know, you're not doing well here. You're in your head. You're not eating. You're not sleeping. Go do what you love. Be around people, you know, go somewhere beautiful and warm and it'll help you. Like this will be a good time. And so I packed a bag and I went and it's a 10 day excursion. The second day I get dysentery and ridiculously sick. And so when you're sick on a cruise nowadays, they quarantine you, uh, which was a unique thing back then. Now we're all used to it, but they kind of lock you up in the medical unit, and that's what they did. And I wasn't getting better with antibiotics, and then they sent a doctor in to me, and she said, um, we don't know what's wrong with you. you. You should be feeling better. You're still sick. Is there any chance you could be pregnant? We need to give you something stronger. And I immediately started to say, well, no, no, my husband, you know, I've had rough pregnancies. After our fourth, my husband got fixed. This is, there's no possible way. And then the time kind of slowed down, and I stopped, and I just knew. And I said, um, I was raped about six weeks ago. You might want to test me. Hmm. And she did. And it was positive. And I remember we, we took another one, which you do sometimes when you're not expecting a pregnancy. So you're right. holding a couple of tests and they're all positive because that's the way that works. And I remember just kind of rocking back and forth and saying, what am I going to do? Uh -huh. I didn't really know how to feel about the baby. I wasn't able to kind of process that at the moment. I just remember thinking, I have to tell people. I'm going to have to tell people. And I had been hiding and we hadn't told people what happened. And the doctor says, look, you've been sick. We've got to get you to a hospital. We're going to make an emergency stop. You need to have an ultrasound. We need to make sure this is not, you know, a tubal pregnancy or ectopic. And so the next day I'm in a Cartagena, Colombia, in this little rundown looking hospital. And I don't speak the language. I have an interpreter there, which I thought was kind of ironic. And <laughs> I, uh, I'm given an ultrasound. And life is completely unrecognizable. You know, everything is just surreal and like someone else's existence. And I'm staring at this black and white fuzzy screen. I see the image that uh, looks like a little, just a little bean, a little tiny pea. But having been pregnant several times before, I knew exactly what that was. And I remember sitting there and looking at that screen and smiling for the first time since the attack, I smiled at him because to me, in a world that had gotten so dark so quickly, that little dot, that little blinking light was hope and life and joy and new beginnings. And it changed everything right there. I am so grateful for the guests who are traveling with us on this journey with you and listening to this story. And you've got more to tell. But right now, as we get ready to go on a break, I just want you, as you're listening, to think about what you heard in those last words, that it was the first time she smiled, that God had actually given her something to smile about. We're going to quickly go on a break and come right back. Thank you for joining us today at Choose Life Radio. We will see you right around the corner. Thank you for joining us today here on Choose Life Radio. We are here because of people just like you, friends who partner with us through prayer and their financial gifts. 
This summer, we'd like to invite you to become a Choose Life Radio ally. For a gift of any amount to Choose Life Radio, we'd like to send you, as our way of saying thank you, the Jeremiah Study Bible. This 2,200-page hard-covered edition has over 8,000 individual study notes from Dr. David Jeremiah, over 50 full-length articles, and a wealth of resources to help you study the Bible in a deeper way. We'll also include a copy of the Bible Promise Book. This handy little volume is a reference that is full of biblical wisdom on many practical matters. I'm sure you'll find this little reference very helpful. This package is a $55 retail value. It's yours, while supplies last, for a gift of any amount to Choose Life Radio. And we'll cover the postage. Visit ChooseLifeRadio.com. Find out more and connect with us. And while you're there, make sure to let us know the call letters of the station you're listening to. Reach out and connect today. Become a Choose Life Radio ally and join our team. Visit ChooseLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Choose Life Radio. We are in a wonderful conversation with Jennifer Christie. And she's telling us a story that I'm telling you, folks, we don't get to hear very often. We certainly don't get to understand what's going on inside the heart of a woman and a man who are married and committed and have four children who then have something terribly, terribly wrong happen. And that's an assault, a sexual assault, and it it resulted in something amazing. And so, Jennifer, pick that story up for us. If you will, you're on the boat, you're a translator, and you're all of a sudden feeling sick. All right. So I I have the ultrasound, I see my baby, and I get back to the ship, and I call Jeff, my husband. I said, are are you sitting down? First thing I said, no, hello, no, are you sitting down? And immediately I just, I'm pregnant. And I mean, he knew there was no question. I mean, we've been eight years where he, you know, affected me, everything. And, and there was just a, a second, like just a heartbeat of just nothing. And then he said, okay. And I said, okay, okay, what? <laughs> I, I need more. That's not a response. Okay is not enough. And he just said, I'm just getting hysterical. You know, okay is not, I need more. And he's like, sweetheart, he said, this baby's a gift. This is something beautiful. That's come from something so terrible and so painful for us. We love babies. And I said, yeah, yeah, we love babies. And he said, we can do this. This will be awesome, Jay. We can do this, you and me. And hence, Love Louder. That is an incredible understanding now of the name of your website and your ministry. Well, the name actually came about when people, this is our one of my favorite stories, when people ask us, all the time, you know, we, that's the question we get, what are you going to, and we've talked to him about it now, but what are you going to tell your son? What are you going to tell him? What are you going to say? And, and we thought about it and I just said, it's so easy for us. Like it just came so organically. I just said, we're going to tell him that the world was screaming at us, that you are a child from rape and you do not deserve to be here. You should not be here. And those voices were loud, but we loved you louder. Wow. Powerful. Okay, so you had a baby and a little boy, as you're telling us. a little us. boy, Joshua. Joshua. Oh. Jehovah saves. Uh-huh. 
and your family, how did they, how did they, you had to tell all of your kids you hadn't been in a car accident? And Right. We told them incrementally as they got older. We had to tell my daughter immediately because she remembered my husband having the vasectomy. And I remember worrying the most about her. Uh, she was 17. She was a little flighty, a little, little self-involved as teenagers are. And I remember her just kind of looking at me like devastated. And I, I said, I just don't want you to look at the baby any differently. And then she was mad. She was like, mom, I just offended. I would never do that. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, all right, I, I, we're, we're doing all right with these kids. And, and as we told them, the rest are boys, we kind of started with, I want to talk to you about something. And what I want you to take from this is how good God is mm. and how gracious and how he brings such beautiful things from such tragedies when we let him. And the boys are are very protective. That's kind of that natural instinct to be protective of their mother. And they were very upset. But as far as their brother went, they didn't even connect that. I was like, do you look at him any differently? And they just kind of gave me blank faces. They were like, why? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Because people do. I don't, I don't know. It shouldn't be that way. But they were like, he's just, he's our brother. Like, what does it matter? It doesn't. It doesn't matter at all. My family did not do so well with it, my biological family. Um, my dad decided that uh, because I was keeping the baby that I lied about the rape because who would keep a rape baby? So he mm, mm. disconnected from me and passed away without us ever reconciling. And my mother, who is no longer with us either, was very strongly pro-choice and was very worried for me. Loved, loved her grandson and wanted that to be known, but was concerned, as I think a lot of people are. You'll always have this reminder. Jen, you'll never be able to move on. You'll never be able to forget if you have this baby he's going to be a reminder forever. And, and we hear that a lot. I think one of the things that I want to be sure you know about me and this program and, and the excitement that I have in getting to talk to people about choosing life is that I want the Protestant and the Catholic churches and, and the small churches out there and the large mm-hmm. churches to understand it is everything how we respond to a woman who is pregnant, whether it's because she's been dating someone and she made a mistake or she didn't use contraception or whatever, or it's someone who has a story like yours, which is so unique and so deep and so painful. Because I think in the church, people tend to say, There are levels of this that need to be dealt with, levels, and this is the worst level. And I feel like it's important for her to abort that child. hear it all the time. Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me, how does that feel when you hear it, especially from the church people? Well, I mean, 60% of people who call themselves pro-life make exceptions in cases of rape, and a lot of those people are people of faith. I heard from a pastor, a pastor friend of mine, you know, this is why we have abortion. Like, this is the reason we have abortion. God will understand. Mm. I thought, God will understand. Mm. Like, what? This is, and it, it wasn't a one-time experience. I've talked to hundreds of mothers from rape, hundreds of women who've gone through this. And that's, by and large, a common response. This is an evil seed. This was begun in evil. This was not God's plan. This was, this is a life. This is someone created in the image and likeness of God. We do evil things. We have free will. We make horrible decisions. But that doesn't mean that God can't create beautiful things from that. And our life is a living testimony to that. What someone who is still dealing with the trauma of rape and finds out they're pregnant, it's so much to process at once because you're still so freshly traumatized. 
one of the most important things the church can do is be joyful about the child. The child needs to be celebrated the way any other pregnancy would, because the woman may may need that joy for a while until she can heal a little bit. So lend that joy and saying, I'm so sorry this happened to you, but I'm so happy that you have this child and I celebrate that baby with you. And that's so important in helping her choose life and helping her realize that this is her child and this is God's child. And even though it began in an act of hatred and violence, it can be raised in something loving and beautiful. How did you begin to talk outside of your family about this situation? Yeah, we never meant to do that, <laughs> but we uh, we were encouraged to share with just a small group of other mothers from rape and rape survivors and all of that, and so we did, and um, Live Action picked up the story, and then everyone picked up the story, and by the end of the week, it had been shared a million times on Facebook, and people were talking about it on radio shows across the country, and not favorably, by the way. Mm-hmm. They were not in favor of us. We were... We were crazy. We were religious wackos, you know. Oh, wow. Wow. Sending out rapist DNA into the gene pool. You should all be dead. There were some people who said, you know, this is the child of Satan. You should both be sacrificed. People are crazy. Yes. It was horrible. I mean, some of the things I I read were absolutely horrific. But there were also, I mean, thousands and thousands of beautiful comments and really encouraging comments. We actually saved a few hundred of them, and we've got them in an album for Joshua to have someday. Oh. To say that, see, from the time you were born, there were people all over the world who recognized what a gift you were and what a calling God has on your life and why you matter. And I saw one of the posts on your website. Again, that's Love Louder, and then a dash, and Jeff and Jennifer Christie. That's our Facebook page. Oh, that's your Facebook. Um, okay. Yeah, my, my website is jenniferchristie.org. Okay. Jennifer Christie, it's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E. Yes. Yeah. And on there, you have a comment from a young girl who says, I was raped at 15. I gave birth at 16. 20 years later, my son came home. His shirt was stained by blood. I got panicked, and I rushed into him and was about to burst into tears when he said, Don't worry, Mom. I just defended a woman from being raped. Just an incredibly amazing comment. I have a friend whose son was conceived in rape, and he's in his 20s now, and he spends his, his life like going to other countries and doing National Guard work and saving people. And I mean, it's it's just amazing, and I, and I love stories like that. I, I, I've got chills because, I mean, the first time I got a letter recognizing the power of the story was from a young woman who said she'd been sitting in some women's clinic, quote-unquote, and she was, you know, had her appointment for an abortion scheduled and her mom forwarded her my story. And she said she stood up and she left. And she said, I'm I'm writing you now holding my daughter in my arms. Oh. And I remember thinking, if nothing else ever comes of this, like right there, that was worth going through everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to know that there's a life on the planet, that God used something so horrible to not only bring about Josh, but to save another baby's life and to save this woman from a lifetime of regret and shame just makes everything worth it. And we've heard so many things to that effect, and it's just been so humbling and so powerful to walk through this as a family and as a woman who's still recovering from a trauma, you know, to be able to see the fruit of this. is Yeah. That, I'm, I'm just so blessed that you allowed God to use it in your life. I think one of the things that's amazing to me 
is that most people would never think they were going to hear this incredible ministry story of yours. And most people would think exactly what you perhaps heard from a pastor, which said, this is an exception. God's going to be fine with you aborting. God gives the gift of life. We don't get it any other way. There's so many women who have tried forever to be pregnant and can't. They just can't. They're whatever it is. This is a gift, and it's a gift that's meant to salvage what Satan meant for bad. I am so grateful for you sharing this story, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for your words and for your tears. And your website, again, would you re- repeat that again for us? Sure. It's Jennifer Christie, C-H-2-N-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E dot org. And our Facebook page is Love Louder, Jeff and Jennifer Christie. And we're going to be starting a nonprofit that's specifically to step in the gap. And Love Louder will be our nonprofit soon. That um, is going to be under Abby Johnson's pro-love organization. It will be an affiliate that will be able to be a little more boots on the ground helping women who have been raped and whether or not they have a child. Yeah. Well, I so look forward to meeting you personally. I know God's going to bring us together at some time or another, but thank you so much for, again, the the tenderness of your story. And I hope that as you've been traveling with us on this story, you know, as you've been around this table listening in with us, that you will really take to heart the message that Jennifer gave us today, that God doesn't make mistakes. God is the giver of life, and it's saved Jennifer's life in so many ways, as well as a precious family who embraced that little brother and Joshua, who we can't wait to see what he's going to do with his incredible life. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Jill Taylor, and this is Choose Life Radio. Find out more at chooseliferadio.com. The preceding program was sponsored by the Choose Life Radio Network of Canton, Ohio.